I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Moore! Robbie Robbie Weekly. Little reverse pass. Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here as always and I'm joined as always by Murray Kinsella of the 42. How are you Murray? I'm good. How are you? Have you? Are you calming down a small bit? I don't think I'm going to quite reach the levels of irateness that you Cahill produced when he was chatting to Bernard Jackman on Ortiz Rugby Pod uh, within the last <laughs> couple of days but um, I'm going to try and remove emotion from it so we can analyse that England game uh, coldly calculatedly and uh, we're delighted to be joined as well by Bert to do so how are you Bernard how was your general mood since last weekend yeah I'm good I, I just do what everyone else does I follow the process and you know I take the learnings take the learnings from it Gav that's what you, you know that's what Hugh Cahill and yourself need to need to do just to be steadier in your in your approach yeah no it, there, there certainly were work-ons um I, I've <laughs> I've made mistakes in the past, uh, but I, I think it's coming together. Especially with your predictions, with your predictions, you've a lot of work to do there. You know, so behind. That was the, the I got some flack for the predictions, but let's be honest, like that's showbiz, baby. You know, uh, they, not every time, uh, <laughs> not every time somebody makes a prediction, do they truly believe it? Uh, but yeah, it, it was because you it was because you went in the one day from what was it eight point margin to fifteen <laughs> point. Like I don't know how your optimism. <laughs> <laughs> wildly exaggeratingly increased like that Look, but fair play I thought you had inside like track that uh, Etoje George Farrell had come down with something and, and, and that we didn't know about lads, lads at the risk of repeating optimism was good yeah no the optimism was I think it was called for after your horrible negativity towards the end of both of those shows last week albeit you were proven absolutely correct Murray you were spot on even with your margin and we discussed the game on Monday you and I on the members pod we're going to do it with additional info and insight and perspective um, and fresh off the back as well of a, a couple of press conferences you were speaking to players today some of that is embargoed until tomorrow but Andy Farrell was on the stand so to speak as well how did you get on with him what was he saying yeah I mean they're very much sticking to the positivity and um, the line they had after the match in terms of young guys learning an awful lot about the very top level of test rugby against one of the best teams in the world which certainly was the case Um it was interesting yesterday James Ryan was up you know he's going to be captain again this week and he was talking about maybe Ireland in the pressure moments the the players maybe took it on their back to try and beat England physically a little bit too much and be too blunt and direct and not look for maybe some of the other options that they discussed about doing before the game um, and that probably does happen in, in that environment when you're under such intense pressure from that unbelievable defence which we talked about and everyone's been talking about since the game. So certainly has been a very self-reflective and self-critical Ireland camp. But I, I guess there is definitely a fine balance there, isn't there? Particularly with the coaches in, in terms of keeping a bit of that belief. Um, and as we've mentioned before, you know, Ireland over the last year, 18 months, even longer, not a very confident team. So... I don't think it would have been a good idea for the coaches to come down really hard on, on the group about the mistakes that they, they made plenty of in Twickenham. So they're very much um, looking to learn from what happened and, and get better from it. It has been an introspective week for us all, I think. And we will do more of an inspection of that performance, as I said, as the show goes on. But just to look ahead to Georgia for the moment and particularly Bernard looking at that Ireland team. And it's an interesting looking team in that if you were to just come into a, like as a supporter or even a journalist perhaps looking at a, a test against Georgia you might have in your mind a very experimental looking team one filled with young players but then if you actually kind of remove yourself from that general trend and look at Ireland's squad maybe there isn't a huge uh, amount of experimentation that can be done by Farrell really just given the players he has selected it it's quite an established team really and a team that should be looking to, to rack up a score against Georgia rather than say a team in which a lot of young players or say uncapped players are blooded so what do you make of that approach firstly where there's a serious dollop of experience across pretty much all areas of the team for this yeah I, I'm very interested to, to, to kind of think around if this wasn't COVID uh, in COVID and the bubble, you know, would there be more more changes? You know, would he brought in five or six players who've um, played 
very well for the provinces and, and giving them exposure. Um, possibly not. You know, the only real um, addition is is well, obviously Eric O'Sullivan came in during the week for injury, but Shane Daly on the on the bench. And in fairness as well, to be honest, he's probably capped the guys that um, we would have looked at in a, in a fixture like this during the Six Nations and during the the end of the or the start of the Autumn Cup. So I'd say guys like Keenan. You know, Billy Burns, Will Connors, etc. They've already got capped, so um, we don't see them as being, you know, fresh additions. But realistically, um, they are to a certain extent. You know, they're they're, they're still finding their feet. But it's a very strong squad um, in terms of experience. You know, like the CJ playing and you know Erzy playing um, and Connor playing. You know, is 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 probably unusual for this weakest fixture of four or, uh, in 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 this block, which you normally get in November, but. Probably puts the pressure on to do a job on on Georgia, to be honest, you know. And um, you know, Wales Wales are obviously in poor form, but they struggled against them for long periods. Uh, I think the Georgians will get better week to week, and and you know they probably see this as being their best chance of a of a scalp. So it's uh it's an interesting one. Um, look, we should win, um, and we should win well. But if we don't win well, um, I think it'll just rank up that pressure that's kind of starting to build. A We've bit. got. 12 or 13 questions from the WhatsApp group in the last hour, Murray, just since I let the 42 members in there know that we were going to be recording at around half two on a Thursday and going to get through as many of them as humanly possible. They're all brilliant, <laughs> as tends to be the case. But just wanted to start with this one from our friend Kalon because it pertains to the team and maybe some of the thinking behind it. So he says, if this is a shaken up Irish side, our management overreacting to previous performances, it's a far better side, in my opinion, than what we've seen under Joe in games against the US, Fiji and Canada in recent autumns. Is that purely down to limited squad sizes and a new coaching ticket? Or is it an, indica- is it an indication of a bit of a fear factor from Andy Farrell and co? Um, yeah, I, I suppose there is a, an element of they definitely need to get a nice win here and get some momentum back into the group for the reasons I've just mentioned, coming off the back of a, a difficult afternoon in Twickenham where they were a clear second best and, and certainly have been under pressure all week. And and I think they, even keeping someone like James Ryan in there, Andrew Porter in there, you know, guys like Porter's played a lot of minutes. Ryan looks like he could do a bit of a, a break this week before a, obviously an important match, a playoff game next week. But maybe they were just leaning towards, you know, let's keep those strong figures in there to make sure that we get a, a good job done here. At the same time, there is a bit of there is a bit of change. Like seeing McCluskey, I know he's not a young guy, but this is only his fourth cap. It's good to see him get an opportunity. I think that's exciting, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of role he has moving forward. Because I have a sense that Farrell would probably rate him more as a player than than Joe Schmidt did, and and like some of his attributes. Uh, Ty Byrne playing at six again. He's not a, a young lad uh, coming in completely green, but it, it's good to see him get more test exposure obviously the one that stands out is Finley Bielham a loose head and that's a, a bit of a strange one really um, given that he's played all of his really all of his professional rugby at tight head prop he obviously came through as a loose head initially um, but there there is an element of it with the injuries as well and, and things have certainly been changed in that regard and there are people missing and, and potentially those plans were changed I think for me, just personally, I think you could have given Kieran Marmion a start in this game. He's experienced as well. It's not like you're throwing a, a young kid in beside Billy Burns. Same with Shane Daly. Um, obviously, he's had an injury issue and maybe it's a fitness thing because he hasn't played for a long time now. But you almost would have loved to have seen him just get a start and get a really extended chance to impress and show, and show what he's all about. We obviously know what Conor Murray can do. Um, and even with the back three, someone someone like Earls as well, you you know you can, you know exactly where you're going to get there. And um I think to answer the question, yeah, there is probably a sense that it's gone. Uh, they've gone with a strong team with a fair dollop of experience, as you say, because they they need to get back onto that winning momentum. Bernard, let's chat about the front row then. And Andy Farrell was making the point earlier that conceivably Andrew Porter could switch sides in in the scrum at some point. Um, you mentioned that Eric O'Sullivan was called up, uh, kind of maybe ostensibly as injury cover, but. Does it make sense not to give him a chance in a game against Georgia when you've got, say, Bielham down as playing in his atypical position, if you like? Yeah, well, I, I, look, I think it's an opportunity missed, to be honest. I would agree. I think Marmion could have started. Um, you know, it's, it's unlikely he'd be involved next week, I would say. So um, it would be great to see him get a start. He he, he deserves a crack at it. Um, also, you know, maybe it's just purely because they want to get Stockdale. They still see Stockdale as number 115, maybe, and... You know, they want him to get 60 minutes, obviously, haven't missed um, that Welsh game. But the front row, I don't see the 
point of really converting Bealham back to to Lucid, um or trying him out as a Lucid. Um and in fairness, if they're really desperate to do that, um, well then I'd have Eric O'Sullivan on the bench ahead of Keane Healy. I think it would be good for Keane to to get a rest. I think it's um it's been a difficult enough time for for the Irish front row um uh, in the in the in the in the last four or five games. So I think it would be good to get him freshened up for for obviously what's going to be a huge scrummaging test next week. And um, let's be honest, he's our he's still our first choice loose head um, because Porter's playing tight head. So. I don't look at. I think the pecking order for me at Lucid is Healy, Porter, Kilcoin. Obviously, Kilcoin's injured, and the pecking order at Tighthead is probably Furlong. Is definitely Furlong, and then behind that, you know, Feelham slash Tom O'Toole. Um, as we you know over the next year, um, yeah, and, uh, and maybe Tom O'Toole getting ahead of of of, of, of So, uh, yeah, it just seems to be a stopgap, which it's probably a wasted opportunity in terms of really find out about somebody which they could have done with with Eric O'Sullivan for 50 60 minutes yeah is that is it an indication of a kind of a risk aversion on Farrell's behalf Murray going back to the last question we just had there that may be like it's just difficult to imagine a head coach not wanting to take a risk or or it's not even that much of a risk against Georgia like if we're honest you know it it does feel like a missed opportunity as you're saying and just trying to get to the bottom of why you wouldn't give a guy a a roll out in a game like this yeah, so Farrell's slant on is that they've been thinking about moving Bealham across um, recently. I mean, what is he, 29? So he's not exactly an old fella for, for a prop. He could add to the depth chart in that sense. And that Eric O'Sullivan, you know, was laid into camp. He obviously played Sunday, didn't he, with Ulster um, and hasn't trained a whole lot. So there's a whole lot of upskilling there and, and learning for a guy who's never been in Ireland camp in any form before. Uh, so it's an entirely new playbook for him. Um, and you can definitely understand that side of it as well. But but I agree, you know, you learn more about players by putting them in tough situations. Um, and Eric O'Sullivan has, he's re, you know, he's stepped up every time he's been asked to over the last couple of years. A guy who only made his debut for Ulster in, in September 2018, having kind of fought his way through the AIL and, and into that position. So I think it would have been positive, absolutely, to see him get an opportunity. I can understand where the, where the coaching staff are coming from on that one. But it does feel in that sense like, uh, to be honest, I'd be surprised if we see Beal and play loose head again for Ireland, realistically. So, um, yeah, the injuries probably mix things up here. Obviously, Ed Byrne is injured at the moment. He was the, the next in line for them there over the course of this autumn. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's an odd one. What about Porter then and potentially swapping to loose head? Like, can a player who's played a tight head at elite level for as long as he has become an elite level player on the opposite side of the scrum? Or is this sort of pipe dream stuff? I'll, I'll ask you, Bernard, that one, c- c- considering your area. Can he make the switch, basically? Sorry. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, no, he can. He can make the switch. Um, and I think I think it's a very natural. It'll be an easy switch for him. It's a lot easier. Look, there's, long-term, there's a lot of long-term potential with Porter as a as a loose head, whereas um, I don't think there's long-term potential with Bealham as a loose head at that level, you know. Um, and I think Porter would be very comfortable um, on the left-hand side. His sheer power would be more effective on the loose head side because um, it, it's more important to be very powerful on the loose head side. Uh, or sorry, it's easier to be very powerful on the loose head side as you learn the, uh, the intricacies of the, of the position, whereas on a tight head side, you need a certain amount of power, but you also need... Um, a huge amount of technique, and unfortunately, unfortunately for him, um, you know he's had he's had to learn that against you know Saracens and um, obviously France and England and and at a time when the whole scrum isn't really looking settled, there's a huge amount of change it seems to be in in, in how we're scrummaging. So it puts a huge amount of focus on on a tight head. And I would say, and this this is probably a bit controversial, but and it's not going to happen. But I would say you know if next weekend against Scotland. Uh, sorry, start a week or Sunday week in Scotland was a relegation do or die match, and we needed to win. I would say the right call to, in terms of selection would be Marty Moore or Michael Bent. Okay, obviously it's not going to happen, but I'm just saying from a pure point of view. And I look back at Ireland Scotland in in the Six Nations pre lockdown, and they got after us at scrum time. Tight for long, um, and the very last play of the game, um. So basically, it was in clock eighty minutes. We needed to be able to get the ball in and out of the scrum and uh, to be able to kick it off the field to win in a in a in a one score game. Uh, they went after us massively and very very lucky not to get a turnover. So the Scottish scrum has improved a lot. Personnel reasons, uh, you know, um, Peter de Villiers, 
uh, you know, the ex-staff say and, and South African scrum coach is, is working with him as a consultant. And I think they will sense weakness in the Irish scrum um, next week. And, um, you know, I don't see it happening, but I think potentially if you were the scrum coach for Ireland and you had a say in who you picked the tight head, you, you'd probably pick Michael Bent or Marty Moore. Bert, you're very wary of the Scots. I, I've sensed it in your well, for the last few weeks. Yeah, I, 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 I think they've improved. Well I think week. they've improved. I think, you know, Gregor Townsend has given up his uh, a little bit around his, his, his philosophy to, to try and win test matches. And uh, they've also uncovered some some better players. Look, they're not world beaters. There's a level now at the moment. It's France and England, I think, clearly better than the rest in the Six Nations. And at the moment, I'm worried that we're not next best. Uh, I'm worried that Scotland could potentially pass us out. Look, you would have to say long-term, Ireland should be able to be better because, you know, four teams, well-funded, you know, um, tradition of winning, etc. But at the moment, I'm a little bit worried. And hopefully that's it's unfounded. But um, And I think, look, the, the reality is, you know, there's a bit of negativity about the Irish team at the moment. But I think this English team and this French team are, are in a really good place. Very good generation of players, very well coached. Um, and I and I think we will get better. It's just if we lost to Scotland, that could be, that could build up that sense of um of of pressure or negativity, which isn't isn't helpful. Yeah, perception definitely becomes reality with these things. Uh, just before we move on from the front row, a couple more questions from the members WhatsApp group. Uh, it's members.the42.ie if you want to become a member of the 42, by the way, and you just give us a shout and you get added into this group. But this one for yourself, Murray, or I'll put it to you. It's from Robin Dempsey. And Robin says, if, as Farrell said in his press conference, there have been discussions about props playing on the other side for a while, then why haven't they been given time at club level to get the reps in? Asking them to just rock up and do it in an international could be damaging for the team and the player. Tom Court is a good example. Decent loose head, but will forever be ridiculed because of his perceived failures as a tight head and his convenient choice of holiday destination. Well, Leinster have definitely talked about Porter at Loosehead as well. They obviously haven't done it themselves, but they've considered as well because Tyke Furlong's playing for that province as well as Ireland. I suppose with someone like Bealham, like it is a tough thing to do. There's there's obviously some level of IRFU influence in in that and they'll always insist there isn't in terms of picking teams, but like Finney Bealham is Connick's best tight head by, by some distance. They have Dennis Buckley at Loosehead, so telling them to shift him across for a few games doesn't suit their plans in any way um th- yeah the porter thing has been discussed definitely and i think birch is right on that in that regard in terms of him being viewed in in the loose head pecking order i think it would be absolutely brilliant at some stage to see ireland play with porter and furlong as their two props like that would be pretty destructive mobile um you know good jackling they, they've a great range of skills as well as their size and power because the two of them are the best athletes in that crop of of props so it'll be fascinating to see that happen at some stage but really you need all the stars to align for it to happen like there's always going to be someone injured that's the reality your depth chart is never going to be sitting there in, in carton house bashing each other in training and competing for spots that isn't the reality of, of professional rugby um, but you would love to see it at some stage um, just in terms of question it's it's tough to I suppose put provinces in that position when they have their own very different pecking orders probably in many regards but is it, is it then, by extension, too ambitious, Murray, to expect them to be able to just do it at international level without the reps at club level? We'll learn more about Bealham, obviously, this weekend, but I don't see it as being a, beyond him, certainly, this weekend. He's been in good form, actually, we should say that. He's been quality off the bench when he's come on, and he's looked really energetic, looks in really good condition after that injury earlier on this year, um, and definitely really hungry for the opportunity. He came on against England at loose head, albeit just for a short period, um, and has that previous experience there as well. I'd be surprised if it goes disastrously, disastrously to be honest. Now, we might be clipping that at some stage if if they concede five scrum penalties on that side. But to be fair, Georgia's scrum hasn't looked good so far this November, which has surprised me. I thought that was going to be their main strength, um, but they've actually had a few struggles in that area. So hopefully Ireland do get another good test at the scrum, because as Bernard mentions... They definitely need it before what is going to be a big game the week after. And this one for yourself, Birch, from Coleman. And he was saying, obviously, we need to stick with Kelleher as he is by far the best around the park. But let's say he doesn't sort out his line out woes. Does it then come to a stage where we start thinking of the likes of uh, Andrew slash O'Byrne? I think it's interesting that we seem to select second rows and props to ensure set piece solidity, but never hook. Yeah, look, I think... Look, I don't think Kelleher... I think Kelleher gives us a good set piece, particularly scrummaging. I think he's the best scrummager. 
Um, I know he's had the odd blip, uh, but honestly, I, like I've looked back through the through the through the lineup calls or lineups used at the weekend. Um, sometimes he has to like. Sometimes he's thrown into areas that are heavily contested as well, and not just him. I mean, Herring and, and Heffern and the opportunities they've had, none of them have been pitcher perfect, and that, I don't blame them at all. Um, you know, I think Herring's probably the best thrower of the three, um, but I do think that Kelleher, um, Keller has the most growth, the most long term future. You know, we we do lack power, um, and in fairness, I've been impressed with John Andrews, and obviously Burn O'Burn's playing very well, but. I'm not sure they're even first choice in their own provinces. Uh, so I don't see, yeah, I don't see, look, at it, there's no set piece hook. There's no one out there who's an unbelievable thrower who could play test rugby ahead of what we have already, to be honest, in my opinion. Let's start digging into the England game and we can keep going with the questions as they pertain to the team this weekend and sort of interweave them into a conversation about that England defeat. So uh, Murray has we were saying earlier you and i did chat on monday kind of digging into well you did the heavy lifting as always but digging into that ireland performance and the various aspects to it we haven't heard from bernard on that front yet you gave a, a brilliant exhibition of scrum analysis during the members show last thursday which i know people really enjoyed so if people didn't tune into to that show Bert kind of uh, shared his screen with us and, and took us through um, an actual visual analysis of some of his concerns around the ireland scrum and i think a lot of those concerns would have actually grown, Birch, after the fact, really. Um, what, what did you make of this scrum overall? Yeah, look, we were under serious pressure. The, the problem is, because other areas of the game have um, have probably been more obvious, we've kind of gone through the French game and the, the English game, and we haven't really looked at how average and poor the scrummage has been. Because, for example, against England, everyone's focusing on... Um, you know, the fact that our attack was was really um, easy to read. We got knocked backwards. The breakdown was poor. Um, you know, in fact, that when we kicked the corner, we, we couldn't win the line out of the mall. But in amongst all that, you know, the scrum was, was creaking badly as well. And I, I just, you know, I, I picked out a clip um, from the French game where we had a man to bin and I was there ball and we scrummed with seven. And I was like, that's not very smart. You know, there's a 95% chance he scrummed with seven against eight against France and their ball. It's going to be a penalty, and it also is going to give the referee um, a really poor image of, of of their dominance or an image of their dominance. And then, you know, the very first scrum of the game against England, when it was highly likely we were going to be under pressure, um, and you know we had a free kick for an early engagement, and I just thought, wow, get Doris, you know, going into uh, own Farrell with Bundy on his shoulder or Farrell on his shoulder, you're over the gain line, you've you know you've you've just changed the point of contact, and we took the scrum again, and and I don't know if you remember it, but. Um, Doris did amazingly to be able to pick it out of the, the second row's um, uh, feet as he as the scrum was coming back on top of him, and he got picked up by four or five English players, and we managed to re- recover the ball. But it just gives them energy, and it just gives it, it's horrible. Like you feel like a schoolboy when when your scrum is going back like that if you're in the middle of it. So um, there's areas that just need to be fixed, and and it's 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 something obviously that was very strong for Ireland in a in a passive way. So like under Joe, effectively we scrummed to have um, high quality ball delivered to the backs. And it was a big part of our, of our set piece attack. So it wasn't a, a scrum that had a, an attacking mentality that wanted to win penalties like England or France do. And that's fine. But we became very good at that. And we, we frustrated opposition teams because they couldn't get anything off us. And we very rarely gave away a penalty on our ball or their ball. Um, and it was generally, it was very, uh, it was top quality ball to play off. Uh, and at the moment, and it drifted into Leinster this year, um, where we've gone into a habit of of looking to punish teams. And in fairness, it works well in the Pro 14. I mean, Leinster the weekend, if you look at how they play, um, if they get a, a scrum in their 22, they generally look for that second shove and to be able to exit with a penalty. And it's, it's absolutely brilliant. But the problem is, at the moment, we've got a kind of an attacking mindset. We've a lot of people doing individual things in the scrum. And when you come up against a team like England or, or France, who now are well-drilled, who are bigger than we are, more powerful, and have a collective effort, um, we're getting exposed. So, look, it hasn't been a crisis point. You know, people won't be shouting about it until we lose a game just with the scrum. Um, and hopefully we fix it by then. But in, in amongst lots of areas that aren't going well, it's an area, I think, that um, against against Scotland, which is obviously the... Georgia might test it. I, I agree the scrum hasn't been going great. Uh, but it's hard to judge it because it's not our 
first choice uh, pack as such. Um, but it's an area that, that, along with other areas of game, that obviously we need to develop and, and fix. Yeah, Murray, we probably need to develop literally every area of our game at the moment. And you've made the point on a few occasions following, say, high-profile defeats in recent weeks or months that as bad as, say, or say as sterile-looking as Ireland's attack has been at times or how they've struggled to even get over the game line against some of these teams that we perceive as being more physical. If your set-piece isn't right or even adequate, like going back to Schmidt's scrum, which was kind of a bend-don't-break type of, of scrum that's fine once you just get the ball out of there and you can play but as Birch says if you're going backwards in in you know in a matter of yards uh, the, the psychological impact of that is huge we, we talk about compound errors like these are all the things that will start to happen generally speaking when you're on the back foot mentally as well as physically so it just feels as though when you're looking for a starting point as to where Ireland can sort of turn this around and start to look like a team that is developing those areas, line out, scrum, mall, need to be, again, at least adequate. <laughs> and they're just not at the moment. And you're pissing into the wind from that point onwards. Definitely. Like that example that Bernard gave there is a perfect one where you're in a beautiful position to attack off a scrum. What an advantage that is. Just outside the 22, there's a little bit of kick space to cover. You've clearly been working all week on a on a play. You would hope they've been working all week on a play that's going to break down a specific English weakness. And then your scrum goes back a few metres. You're suddenly scrapping to keep the ball. And now you're in a good position of the pitch, but you've got horrible possession that you don't even really want. England are on top of you defensively. And they're the moments where people look at it and go, why aren't Ireland being creative? Where it's really tough to actually turn that into anything positive. Um, and the exact same for some of those lineouts. you know, the, the 10 meter chances, the five meter chances where the mall couldn't get going or where they didn't even get the ball. Um, they're brilliant opportunities to put massive pressure on the defense in a zone where they maybe start to give up penalties, where someone loses their discipline, where, you know, you win one of those uh, contacts situations and, and suddenly you're a meter out from the line and, and someone can finish it. Um, England did that really well for their first try, obviously got into a really good zone, win uh, penalty advantage, and then use the kick play, uh, which they did brilliantly, obviously. Um, but that's why you're looking to get out of those uh, chances in the 22. So if your line not even getting to that point, you're, you're really going to struggle. Um, and that was the, for me, it still stands out. I've watched it a couple of times again. And when your line goes that badly, I don't think you're going to be in with a, a genuine chance against a team like England. There were obviously other issues as well. The breakdown was one we talked about a lot on Monday. The number of turnovers there was just appalling from an Irish point of view. And... They just got it badly wrong. At times it was too, um, they were just weak and not a bit high into contact and allowed those English jackals to get a, a really strong position over the ball. At other times they were sending too many into a, a breakdown that was already won. So um, th those things were, were the things I, I suppose I was looking at from this game rather than an overall attacking philosophy. Yeah, just, just to come in on that, I think, you know, I have this thought process or, or feeling that really good defences need to make four errors in a row to get punished and um, you know and normally a set piece error is, is in there somewhere so if you think to the first try so they go for a cross field contestable onto Keith Earls he deals with the, with the actual catch really well which you know has been a weakness for Ireland um, he deals with the catch really well but as he's going into contact I think Jonathan Joseph taps him and he loses the ball on the ground knock on shouldn't be a big deal we just have a good scrum make them play off that scrum on, on the halfway line or he was on the 10-yard line and he have a chance to defend it. We actually, they go for a double shove, they win a penalty. All right, so that's the second error. Okay, one one individual, one collective. They kick to the corner, maul pressure, give away a penalty. That's the third error. And the fourth error is is Johnny May beating Keenan in the air. Okay, so that's four in a row. The, first, the second try, whatever, four minutes later, our line out, overthrow. Okay, the ball bounces on the ground. You'd say Rossburn has a chance to kill it. Okay, so either we have possession or it's a, um, or it's back for a crooked throw or whatever. But it could be killed there. Restart with set piece. So we lose the set piece. Don't kill the ball on the ground. There's a mix up defensively. Chris Farrell doesn't, you know, make the tackle on Johnny May. Brilliant by Johnny May. He kicks over the top, and James Lowe is a little bit slow to start on the recovery. It doesn't work hard enough, and that's your fourth error. Four. Four errors in a row from from a team, and and you, and you concede two tries. But and that's that'll be frustrating for them. I mean, like you know, one and two is okay, but to go three and four, the top teams like England or France, they'll 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 take you to teams. The the first one there, we talked about that one on Monday. The first one there, 
actually was started with an Ireland lineup, didn't it? And it was a crooked throw. Yeah. So like yeah, there's, there's actually five like even. five yeah. I've and I, and that fine. that should have been a really good opportunity for Ireland to attack, to put a bit of pressure, probably to produce a kick and and put England in a tough situation. Instead, you know you're defending against a scrum and, and Farrell puts that kick up and there's your chain of events that leads to a try. So you've gone from a good attacking position where your lineout should really be able to function and provide a decent platform to concede. <laughs> Yeah, just to flip it, I mean, this like I, I would speak to a lot of coaches in the Pro 14, and they 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 find it really hard when they play the Irish provinces to get that second or third error in a row. You know, they can get one, they can get two, but it's very difficult for them to get the third one. And uh, um, it's just an area that we just need to bring bring up to that level when we're under more pressure. Before I ask you how we start to force the likes of England to make uh, making into making a series of errors that would lead to scores from an Irish perspective, just to touch upon Lowe and his role in that second Johnny May try, like he got a slaughtering from Chris Ashton, <laughs> uh, who was speaking on, and I want to make sure I get it right. I'll come back to wherever he was speaking and, and credit them properly, but just BBC to give five you a live to begin with. What was it? I think it's BBC Five Live, was it? Yeah, it could have been. I'll, I'll credit it properly, but I'll just read the quote and then I can circle back while you digest it. You saw it already, uh, Birch, anyway, but he was saying if he was a winger on the opposite side of the pitch from Johnny May so say I was James Lowe says Chris Ashton on the Ireland team when Johnny shanks that kick across the pitch my job is to go across the pitch and get the ball where was James Lowe where was James Lowe he's dragging a dresser back there he's too big he's dragging a tractor mate turning I watched him during the game he's too big too heavy too slow (laughs) so Chris Ashton Chris Ashton further endearing himself to the Irish public um, <laughs> but it was clear, like in fairness what he, look, what he's saying there is, is straying into I think too personal uh, a territory really and look he's he's having a chat and I wouldn't take any great offence to it if I was James Lowe but uh, these were in probably more polite terms concerns for Ireland when Lowe was to make that um, transition from say Les- Leinster Kiwi wing to Ireland international like as we spoke about a couple of weeks ago that step up from even European level to test level does he have the sort of top level pace uh, to be a, an effective test winger and I think we've seen enough province promise from him say in that Wales game to suggest that he, he absolutely belongs at test level but is it the, is the concern regarding Lowe then more about concentration or work rate defensively Birch and, and separate to what Ashton is saying it might be more of an, a, a mental application thing than his physical attributes. Yeah, I think it's look at that, that's that kind of um, assassination is, is out of order. And I'd say I, I'm not sure what's Ashton's situation playing wise at the moment, but I'd love to see I'd love to see Leinster draw against uh, a Chris Ashton's side. But yeah, um, look at it. he definitely has. Air, that's the question mark around him is is he able to influ- is he able to use his power at the very top level and we thought England Wales is going to be a really good test because he's up against you know some some quality athletes and he he absolutely you know dominated us in that game but the problem now is there's a question mark around you know his ability to influence games when he's up against you know a top end team and and probably the fact our two get well the games just to go for me now are Saracens in the Viva and England so I just I'm working off two games uh where he probably didn't influence the game as much as we as he needed to or would have liked. Um, just that clip is, is is a very small sample, and I, I don't think he's lazy. I don't think he's unfit at all. Um, in actual fact, he you know he's usually full of energy and he's, he's highly involved. But just that clip is, is an area that um, you know he will look back on and and whoever's looking after the Irish defence, uh, Simon or or whatever, you know, will say, look, you know, that's that's not acceptable. That, that's the reality of it. You, you can't. He can't cruise there. And, and the effort that Peter Manny and Ronan Kelleher made to try and get back was absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I do think, given the fact, like, it, the ball kind of shanked off Johnny, it wasn't a perfect kick. I think if he had it set off in time and he had it went full full speed, he would have got there ahead of Johnny May. Yeah, well, I mean, he's faster than Peter Romani, like, calling a spade a spade. You know what I mean? So he should yeah. he should get there if he's, if he's at 100%. Um, Murray... Sorry, and just to make uh, to reiterate Bernard's point earlier, that was on BBC Five Live as well. Uh, it was Chris Chris Ashton and Danny Kerr chatting. Um, so, Murray, you were saying a minute ago that like you wouldn't view Ireland's performance through the prism of like attacking ideology, 
But just to pick up on what Bernard was saying there, as it pertains to low and using the Saracens game and that recent England game as a sample size, the, the Ireland game, uh, England Ireland game at Twickenham reminded me of the most recent, recent, or sorry, no, sorry, the first, say, encounter between Leinster and Saris in the European Cup final last year, in that it did feel as though Ireland kind of got caught in a dick-swinging contest against a, an opponent that's just better in doubt, you know what I mean? Where maybe there was an element of not wanting to be run over, but then falling into the trap of of borderline insanity in just trying the same thing over and over again, despite the fact it wasn't working. Is that is that a fair assessment? Very similar games where both teams went away from their plan, I suppose. Like Ireland's plan was extremely clear from the start. Put pressure, turned them, kicks in behind. They actually started well. As we discussed on Monday, some poor kicks as well probably stim- uh, like stunted that effort a little bit. Think back to that Leinster match where they, they discussed probably shifting the ball a little bit more, trying to get around the edge of defence, but absolutely got, I suppose, caught trying to win and run over guys because you're under such intense pressure. Like, it's easy easy for us to look at it and go, oh, you know, why didn't they pass there? You know, he's just running into lads. But none of us have... Uh, Bernard's played at the highest level, but, it, you know, that line speed that England have is really unique. It, the pressure they apply on it is really unique. They're, they're a really great team. I know they didn't do well in that World Cup final, but they put you in pressurised situations that you've never been in before. A lot of those Irish players, I would say, maybe in that Saracens game is the only time they've been there. So you do probably lose sight of what you discussed and what you'd planned. Um, people tend to do that under pressure. And I'd say there are similar instances. And that's kind of the sense from Ireland Camp this week is that they need to be calmer was the word James Ryan used. Calmer in those situations close to the try line where they've got an opportunity or they've got a sniff. Um, even the one where Keith Earls makes the big blind break that's a, that is a game-breaking moment. That should have been a try. They, they should have finished that off. Either a pick and go with with Stander and Doris on on the latch. You run through Ben Youngs on the right hand side of the, the ruck, or else people not just congregating around that ruck and being really narrow. The confusion between Byrne and Keenan over who's at first receiver and missing a massive opportunity like that when you have actually broken them down with a bit of that plan because that was a a short side play where they got a little two on one down the the tiniest of short sides, something they'd clearly again planned because we saw it so often and Gibson Park offloads inside. That was good play based on what they planned to do, but they didn't finish it off. And then when they get into the position where they're 12-0 down, like such a damaging poor start, we said they had to start well, they didn't. Um, And then you get a little bit frantic and a little bit panicky and you, you just lose sight of what you're trying to do. So I think that's a really great comparison. And I think the challenge for Ireland is that they're, so rarely going to be in those positions where they're under that kind of intense pressure. As Bernard said, it's probably France and England now. Saracens are gone, unfortunately. It would have been good, I think, for the provinces to play them again because it's obvious that, I suppose, the exposure that Irish players are getting um, maybe in a lot of Pro 14 games, etc., just is nowhere near that level of, of, ten, of intensity and pressure where your decision-making every single time has to be bang on. So, yeah, there's there's been a little bit of a... a a theme through it and our sides have to be getting getting better at, at being calmer yeah it's like it's our kryptonite at the moment that big a big set piece go kicking game rush defense that's the that's the areas that we need to get exposed to more and be able to handle because everything else we can kind of find ways i think um but if you have a team who has those strengths uh probably south africa south africa if france france and fairness aren't they've got a rush defense and they've got very, they're, they're not like England or Saracens or South Africa. They have a little bit more reliance on individual brilliance. They certainly have the power, um, but it's it's those three areas, big scrum, good kicking game, and, and a rush defence that we seem to really struggle to, to handle. I'd say the concern for a lot of people is that it, it doesn't seem as though we're getting any nearer to solving that puzzle. Like, the England games, recent England games, have been different in their own ways, but you're left with a very similar feeling afterwards, Murray. And... But, yeah. but uh, Sorry, but like, go for it. Yeah. yeah, sorry, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. But, like, I think Ireland had elements of a good plan there, and, and, and the first 10 minutes showed that. But I think the fact that they made those line-out errors and put themselves just in a hole um, it just negated the plan almost in a way and players started to be to be panicking you're almost asking them for that perfection because 
one or two little things going wrong against an England team who's in in that kind of form, um, it just leaves you leaves you chasing, and then it's such a difficult position to be in. Ireland aren't as good as England by a by a distance, so they need to absolutely nail every part of it for their for their plan to be, I think, more obvious. Like if Ireland had taken that Keith Earls chance. I genuinely think people have a, a majorly different slant on this game, even if they still lost, because it was part of the plan. It worked. The Irish players can go, oh, you know, we talked about the short side. There's a lovely offload, which something which everyone's screaming out for. Um, and if they just take that chance, it's a really good try. I know it's only 12-7, but you're back in the game. So, like, those little things going right, or a couple of the lineouts down the 22, honestly, one of them just, where, where they actually get their more set or, or play off it, and it could have been different. Um the, I, I guess the point, the the overall team though is there are quite a few of them in the game, which to me points to a side who's who's just not at that level really. The yeah, I agree with Murray. No, sorry, Gav. I agree with Murray. I think I think if you look at the first seven or eight minutes, um, Ireland had a strategy to counteract the the um, the speed of uh, of the of the line the line speed, uh, and involved a lot of kick battle, kick battle. We just didn't stay patient with it and. The challenge is, so the area's improvement I saw was that the last three times we played England, they found an unbelievable amount of grass behind us. They won a lot of the area collisions. Um, and barred a Hugo Keenan one uh, for the try, we you know we, we did okay in those. Um, the problem we had was that our actual kick accuracy was really poor. Okay, On the day, England kicked a lot better than us in terms of their actual accuracy of kicking. And even the one where, which led to Ireland having a 22 dropout, um, where I think Johnny May kicked it into the dead ball area. Like, that's like a win for them. I mean, they were defending, we are putting pressure on, and I think Hugo Keenan saw space in behind him, which there was, but he kicked it straight to him, and he banged it long. And you can imagine England going up there, and the Irish pack going back. Because of the way we play, sorry, the way we played in that game, which was very confrontational, you know, a high, um, a low pass to rook ratio. So they would have been just going back to that 22 dropout going, you know, we got to work from here now back up to 50 yards to where we were because of one poor kick. Um, so I think that's, that let us down. And then as, as Murray said, you know, our line-out let us down. But I I think if they look back on it now, again, you're building a strategy to play England this week, you'd say, okay, let's, let's make sure we understand if we go behind on the scoreboard, not to go into this relentless one-out run or, or take contact, because that's not going to help us. Um, maybe take points, you know. And you know, even 12 nil down, you know, you could still go 12-3, 12-6 um, rather than, and obviously not kick to the corner when the chances are, you know, you don't have the power to do it. So I think we did, we did, I, I'm, and I agree with Murray, we tried to target that blind side, which is a really good idea against a, a rush. Um, but unfortunately after 12-0, I think we lost control mentally and we went back into, as you said, you know, a bravery contest and, and show how honest we are. When, you know, really experienced teams and who are really comfortable just go, right, that was the game plan and we're just going to keep doing that, keep doing that. Even the scores 20-0 down, you know, and it's a bit like Munster got criticised on the Razzie when they played Saracens um, a little bit and, and Johan got criticised against Leinster um, for just relentlessly following the game plan. Uh, but probably to beat England, you need to keep following it, you just need to be more accurate. You touched upon it there, so I want to put this... Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah for sure. Um uh, well, let me follow up on that just before I give you a question from the group. So, in February, Ireland were slaughtered for sticking to the game plan, even when it wasn't working against England, if you know what I mean. Like, of continuing to go wide, even when it wasn't on Murray. So, is it fair then to... to... Uh, yeah, I think their plan was wrong then. And I think they... Okay. Yeah, me too. I think the coaches learned a lot from that day. I think yeah. those... It was an inexperienced coaching team at that level... And I think they were naive to think, oh, you know what? We're going to try this new one-three-two-two shape. We're going to play with a bit more width. We're going to get around this defense. We've got good enough skills. I think they learned a lot. And I, I do think they tried to play a different way, but it didn't work under pressure. They went 12-0 down. And like they, I'd say England were just almost giggling to themselves with glee. 12-0 up, right, have the ball. Let's see what you got. Come at us. And Ireland tried to do that, and they fell into the trap almost. Uh, it would have been fascinating, I think, Obviously, it would have been more interesting if England hadn't got the 12-0 lead, but what England actually would have done in attack, because once they got the 12-0 lead, I'm thinking, right, their strategy slightly shifts. Just give them the ball, kick everything at them, chase really hard, really pressure that first rock, and then Ireland have got this shite possession and they're trying to build something off it, and it just played into their hands. Yeah, but Murray, and as 
analysts or pundits, whatever, we would have to like we have to think about how we would have reacted if, if Ireland were twelve nil lost a game or 12, yeah. lost eighteen seven or whatever. But we relentlessly kicked the ball back to them and relentlessly played down the blind side because that's what we should have done. And, and but like it might look pretty, and you know, and that, that's that's the problem. And maybe that got into the players' heads of, you know, like should we kick the ball away when we're twelve nil down uh, or eighteen nil down? But the reality against England, you have to keep pressuring them and, and force force a mistake because what we did actually made it less likely we we're going to score. And that sounds counterproductive yeah. because everyone thinks you have to score having possession, as in lots of possession. But the reality is a test rugby at the moment. Uh, you can have the low, you can lose the territory battle and the possession battle and still win. Yeah, and and then yeah, I suppose the attacking opportunities you're thinking of in a game plan like that is off the line out where you have those yes. structured situations, and that's what that was our criticism of Munster. To be fair, yes, we can understand kicking an awful lot against that strong at Leinster defence, but you've got to have something else with it as well, and, and they didn't. England don't actually want the ball, Bernard, do they? Like, not really. No, they, at the moment they're going through a phase. They're going through a phase, and Eddie Jones is unbelievable. He's reinvented himself about six or seven times. I know you rubbed some people up the wrong way, but he seems to be getting pleasure, artistic nature, from actually just implementing this game plan. Like it's like against Georgia and Italy, when they were obviously way superior to both teams, and the Italy game, they needed points to put the pressure on Ireland. Like you look at that game. It, they don't really change their strategy at all from minute zero to minute 80 and same similar against Georgia. Um, and, you know, you could argue that if they had, have, you know, pulled the trigger and, you know, thrown off the shackles, they could have won by more in both games. And you're probably right, but he's just saying, oh, well, you know, I want to win a world cup. I want to, I want to, you know, win a six nations. And this, this against the best teams is the model. And we're just going to copy and paste it. Uh, so he doesn't have to change his game plan like Ireland do. I think so. Ireland can have a different game plan for Scotland, different game plan for Wales, but have to adapt. I think to play to play France or England at the moment. But I think England, given the tools they have, you know, and they have a guy like Johnny May, um, who can you know score out of nothing. Um, they have you know brilliant halfbacks. You know, they have a very good scrum, very good maul. Uh, guys like Atoje who you know can influence a game. So they can probably stick to the one game plan and do it against everybody and put pressure on them to try and find a way to beat us. But because they do it every single week, it's highly unlikely you'll find too many cracks. If that, you know, that's my that's my that's my thought process anyway. But but to to continue with that uh, thought process, then do you think this is the full plan for Jones, or is it part of a bigger plan? Or thirdly, C could it be that it is the full plan for the moment, but he has the nous and the adaptability to make changes if it comes to the point where it's no longer effective in twenty twenty two or twenty three. Yeah, he'll be he'll be way ahead of the curve. This is his rugby vision for 2020. Uh, he can be sure that he's looking at um, what the trends are going to be 2021. I wouldn't be surprised if 2021 he plays a different, a slightly different uh, philosophy because he thinks this this maybe has weaknesses or become predictable. But uh, my point was, in in a competition or in a season, he he tends to just basically go look at this is how we play. This is the numbers we need to hit. And it was interesting. I don't know if you read during the week. You know, he's after getting involved with some some professor of science in in Liverpool um, around uh, an app that measures work rate off the ball, and he's chasing that now. Um, so yeah, he's he's an unbelievably interesting uh, character. But I I think they will evolve for sure. But again, I would also say from you know he has the roster, he has the tools. I mean, he brings off Mako, he brings on Ellis Genge. You know, and and Genge isn't a finished article yet, but he's a ball of power and aggression and um you know even i felt sorry for tom dunn you know tom dunn the game is won he, he gets him on for 30 seconds you know he's uh his third cap and against italy i think he got on the last minute as well like but jamie george is absolutely dominant as the best hooker in the northern hemisphere at the moment so um he, he is very lucky he has a very good roster but i think he's doing a, a very good job of keeping him on their toes and and making them consistent. And I think they would have won the World Cup if, if there hadn't been such a you know an injury to their to their tight head. I mean that game, you know, Scott, South Africa scored a, sc- a score late in the game, but it hinged on on the scrum, six scrum penalties. So Murray, how do you penetrate England's rope a dope? Like, are, are there means of forcing them to make those four errors to which Bernard was alluding to earlier? Um, like, how do you break them down? How do you beat them at the moment? Or will this strategy be good enough? Uh, against the vast majority of opposition, if not all opposition in the world. 
Yeah, like I do think they're the best team in the world. I know they lost the final, but I, I totally agree. Um, I think they have such an incredible squad of world-class players, really, in, in most positions. And they're unbelievably good at handling the pressure moments where you put them into his position. Think of that Ross Byrne kick early in the game, diagonally back to his right. Ireland had a nice little set-piece played, building up to this point, and they're trying to get it in behind Johnny May as he sweeps over to his right-hand side. But England just handed it with so much composure. Um May passes infield to, to Daly and then he kind of offloads straight back out to Henry Slade and he boots it clear up the left and you're thinking how did they, how did they get out of that play? I honestly thought it could be Ireland try with a, a loose offload and other teams probably would have they're really good at handling that composure um, but as I say I think Ireland's plan was largely correct I think they would have felt that if they continued to put them into those pressure points with a decent kicking game um, and then be r- really clinical with their set piece opportunities that's a plan that's going to work but against this England team realistically you have to be unbelievably good to win I don't think Ireland's I don't think the squad squad Ireland have the the quality they have is good enough to beat England certainly away particularly when they're missing Kilcoyne Furlong Henderson was only on the bench just come back Ringrose is their most important back Johnny Sexton is their captain and easily their best out half Larmer is another one I'm sure I'm missing more I don't think Ireland really were going to beat them without those guys I think the plan is important, but I also do think that Ireland having all of those guys available, uh, as much uh, as I mentioned earlier on, you're never going to have that. But as much as possible, you're going to have to have all your kind of world class or European class, whatever you want to call them, those guys available to take them on. Just to clarify there, when you say that you don't think Ireland's squad is good enough to beat England, is that purely when taking into account those injuries or is that saying that even at full comp- complement or close enough that we're still not good enough to beat England on most days yeah sorry I, ju- I just didn't see that squad that went over to Twickenham beating them I just I didn't see it and obviously there was a, an element of trying new things there and I think it was like obviously some of those experiences weren't good ones but I think it was a worthwhile thing for Ireland to do now some of it was out of his hands in terms of Sexton's injury um I think he definitely would have played and several others definitely would have played if they were available. But I didn't think that squad had the quality. I do think at home next year, like it will obviously take a, a gargantuan um, effort from Ireland. But if some of those guys are back, I think Ireland will feel they're going to close that gap a little bit more. And that if their set piece, the, the line out is nailed on and, and they're not giving that first opportunity, that sequence of events we talked about, that they'll be in with a much better chance of of getting into a decent position where England are the ones who suddenly are, are are feeling that bit of pressure. A question here from David, and you sort of alluded to this earlier in the show, Bernard, but David was saying, since we beat New Zealand, our policy seems to have been to go for tries in order to win against the best teams. However, the new laws favour taking the points. As a fan, David says he'd rather see tries, but it seems like we're trying to play every game the same way, which is losing us games. Uh, against an English team who like to defend increments of three would probably get you there question mark uh, whereas against an attacking side like New Zealand yes go for tries as they're bound to score plenty so he was wondering why we aren't necessarily flexing or or adapting our style uh, to the opposition maybe mo- more so in relation to decision making I guess in that regard yeah I, I think that's probably the area I'd be most critical of or, or ask questions around you know, we after France, when you know we questioned, you know whether we shouldn't have at halftime. I think we would have made it seventeen sixteen, and we you know we went to the corner, didn't score, and it, it gave them a big psychological boost. And likewise, um, you know, it probably had a, a bit of a negative effect on us post game. You know, the questions were asked around, do you think we should kick a goal, etc. You know, the word was, oh no, it's it, we let leave it to the players, and you know it's how they feel, etc. And and for sure, you need to have an element of that, but. I think at some stage it's not a bad idea to sit down during the week and go look at, you know, uh, the stats are for the last ten games. You know, we won, we kicked the corner, we converted into, into whatever X points or, that's a really strong area of their game, and realistically we're playing away from home. You know, we're talking around having a young team. We weren't really young in terms of age, but potentially we were young in terms of experience. Um, you know stay in the game so a 5-3 a 5-0 we had a chance to shoot a goal with Ross Byrne he's a very good kicker you know I don't think 5-3 is a bad is a bad result for us after 10 minutes you know and, and it's obviously horrendous when that becomes 12-0 when it backfires to that extent but I I do think that you know the most teams international level now when they're up against a tier 1 team 
who they respect um, and understand their strengths, they are happy to take the points. And it mightn't, you know, it might be what World Rugby wants, but it's just it's just good, smart strategy at the moment. So, and look, maybe maybe these two games have been the tipping point for for this Irish squad to realise. Like, look, at, and I, I worked on the Leinster-Cardiff game at the weekend. They kicked to the corner. Well, they kicked 10 yards out at the weekend and they mauled them over. You know, so those players feel, oh, this is a good strategy. But you have to be able to say, OK, yeah, it's fine at Pro 14 level or it's fine at Champions Cup level. But at the top end international level, which England and France are at the moment, um, we can have a different strategy. We don't have to kick for, go- for corner religiously. You know, it's not a sign of weakness. It's, it's just smart. Mm. The interesting, sorry, just to just to jump on the back of that, um, James Ryan was asked about that yesterday. He was asked about the twelve nil one, um, and he said he'd spoke to Ross Byrne before the game and told him that, listen, if you want to take the points, you can take the shot. But in that instance, Ross Byrne had said, "Let's go to the corner," um, which I found interesting because I I do probably agree with Byrne on that in terms of being strategic about that and having maybe a bit more of a a studied plan. Like obviously, decision making is really important to this group of coaches they feel that this Irish crop of players need to be better at making those decisions themselves out on the pitch and that hasn't been the case probably in in the Joe Schmidt era but um with stuff like that you can probably be a bit more strategic the the obvious example is that England for the first try could have maybe taken the three points from a very similar position on the left but they had belief that you know they were they were clinical from from close range and it is a different scoreline obviously yeah, but look, they, they, they say they can have, they might do that against Africa. You know, they just want a scrum penalty. Um, they probably looked at Ireland's mall. They're away, they're at home. They're the Six Nations winners. You know, I think that like look at Eddie Jones' data driven. I mean, you know, that that would have been decided beforehand to a certain extent. They're not they're not winging it. They're not just um, and then they backed it up. And then you could say Ireland could have backed it up as well. But like realistically, you look at that England team. Um, you know, do you want to kick to the corner against them, given how our mall functioned in Paris? You know, and given how our line out, we're not even sure when the ball. And, and the other one I had was that I thought was interesting was I think it was just before um, you know we got the Stockdale try. Uh, we had a couple of pen- we kicked to the corner, didn't score. Uh, I think it was just after the TMO for Chris Farrell. So we go back to the penalty, which is about eight or nine yards out in front of the post, and we asked Conor Murray to kick to the corner again. You know, there's a lot of teams now who are just they're obviously the ideal scenario. Take a scrum there; it's a better ch- launch pad than a lineout. But there's a lot of teams who are actually just creating a, a, a get a pot around the ball, tapping and going, and then get into their pick and go game. You know, which the way the rules are at the moment, you have a better chance of scoring than the ball. So, I look at maybe they just needed to get that footage to have the chat in Carton House to to fix it because it is a new new group. But again, I, I, I suppose. You know, it's our job to ask questions and, and, and challenge the thought process. And it's the coach's job to be ahead of the curve with that, to to see it, you know, okay, as you say, that French mall didn't go well, let's react to that before it happens. Because um, that, like, there is a bit of a sense of that about this Ireland squad. They're, they're kind of obviously learning lessons as they go, but sometimes you can probably be a bit more, you can have a bit more foresight maybe as a coach. And that was probably one of the things when Ireland were really good on Joe Schmidt that they certainly had. They had really thought about every single thing that could potentially crop up and had a solution for it as well. Just want to pop a couple more questions to you, gents, before we wrap up for the day. So Phil Callanan uh, says, we've gone from innovators under the well under Schmidt in, his, in the early parts of his tenure to being way behind the current trends in world rugby. Can Farrell and co actually turn it around? Does he need to bring in an actual innovator onto the coaching staff? We're never going to be the biggest, the strongest, or the fastest. So if we want to compete, we need to be the smartest. And we are, to put it mildly, not that. Um, is that fair, is that fair Bernard? <laughs> yeah, I think I think at the moment, I think we obviously want to get there. Um, I do think for us to be, to be win the Six Nations, we need to be incredibly smart. You know, we need to be incredibly smart and technical, tactical, strategic, um, plus having a good culture. And in fairness, like I have to say, you're you're Andy Farrell, you're part of the last regime, which, you know, didn't finish well. Um, the feedback you get from the senior players was camp wasn't enjoyable, you know, too intense, etc. You know, he has to take that on board. And it seems to be the, 
you know, the drive, the main driver at the moment, the main work on at the moment is creating a happy camp, creating a good culture, creating a real positive environment, learning environment, not being afraid to to try things, etc. Um, and now the next layer has to be, you know, creating our way of playing, being efficient in that way of playing, um, finding some new talent, um, being ahead of the curve or at least on the curve, not behind us in terms of the way the game is going. So I, I do think that I can understand why maybe we've looked a little bit loose in certain areas, um, but that can't continue for two or three seasons. You know, that, that and to be honest, if they beat Scotland next week, he'll probably look back and say, well, hang on, you know, I, I, we only lost to England and France away from home. Twice, England twice away from home and France away from home. So, you know, realistically, we've won all the games we theoretically should have won. But that's, you know, but I do think the next layer is, and, and again, I said it the other night, is that it's very unusual. Like, they're going against the curve a little bit by chasing attack as the, the big measure of success because it's actually not at international level. Uh, the big influences are really good set piece, really good kicking game, really good defence. And the three of those come together because if you're a good set piece, um, you can generally play the game in the right areas. Um, if you go kicking game, you play the game in the right areas and then your defence is easier. And, and that's why when Sean Edwards was talking to Galtier about coming on board with France, he insisted they brought in a kicking coach because he knew if his, if you put his defence in, in in tandem with how France used to kick, it'd get ripped apart. Right? So they're all connected. And uh, an attack, obviously, as Murray mentioned, comes from having a good set piece as well. But like we've been chasing this, this free free-flowing offloading game and it's great to see but you have to con you have to find a gap in the week to work on the other areas as well um else we become completely lopsided and unfortunately the competition we play in at international level just having a good attack on its own won't be enough and you may disagree with this one uh, it's a question from mick mcgowan but i thought it was an interesting one uh, and i'll put it to you murray uh, Mick says, as it takes a while to bed down an attacking structure of which there doesn't appear to be a discernible one over a series of games and heads up rugby, quote unquote, was trotted out as a tagline at the start of the international period. Is there a super super secret cat attack developing or are Ireland players being trusted to read the game, play what's in front of them and just not doing that? Or is there something else happening? Uh, yeah, I definitely think there's a, a fair portion of the latter like the, heads up rugby has become this kind of jokey phrase about the, this ireland team but I, I suppose essentially what they're trying to describe is having players on the pitch make a few more decisions for themselves and not be as rigidly tied to maybe using a specific play um when they're in their phase game here or, or there or, or whatever um where everything beforehand was probably spoon-fed to to a degree to the players um, like they've changed the attacking shape, it's it's slightly different. They're trying to maintain more width in their in their attacking phase play. Obviously, it hasn't worked against the very best defenses, but we've seen some nice examples of that against Wales, against Scotland, um, obviously against Italy, and you'd hope to see again over the next couple of weekends. Like there are differences there, um, but yeah, it is it is a, a kind of bedding in period for that, and and definitely there were instances of players probably making bad decisions like the one that stands out to me is where they attack off a scrum Bundyaki um, in the England half Bundyaki makes a brilliant gain line carry they're flowing forward you have Doris and Stander coming around the corner absolutely thundering onto the ball and it looks like they're probably the ones due to get the ball as per the the kind of prescribed plan but Gibson Park decides to just snipe off to the right hand side uh, I think he gets turned over in that instance and, and you can see the exasperation on some of the Irish players but Gibson Park obviously saw an opportunity there, or felt he saw a, a weakness that he could take advantage of, and has clearly been back to maybe make those decisions. Probably with some of the kicking as well, you, you saw that, but they didn't do it particularly well. So, um, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see whether the coaches continue to pursue that because it is a thing that'll probably take a while, and there's probably some short-term pain around that, and, and players making the odd poor decision. Um, so I can see some some signs of shift, certainly, but that's not to say that it's all been really positive. Last one from Paddy Kelly with an eye to the future. What is people's opinions on not bringing in our young players for this game? So he names Gav Coombs, Craig Casey, Harry Byrne, uh, Ryan Baird, who obviously has had injury uh, issues recently, Kieran Frawley, etc. Why persist with Billy Burns at 10 and Ross Byrne when their ceiling isn't as high 
Paddy says it's an opportunity missed. Obviously, the, you had a piece about this earlier in the week, Murray, as well. Um, I might put the question to yourself, Bernard, like as a, a former head coach and somebody who would have been playing in, a, in an international dressing room and I guess knows what it takes to be a young player who goes on to, to represent your country. Do you understand where... Farrell seems to be going with this which is just that some of those guys that Paddy listed there need to be playing at European level before they get drafted into an international setup or conversely do you look at say the likes of France with 10-11 new caps this weekend versus Farrell having given 10 new caps since February of this year and kind of say we could give take more of a gamble or or give guys more chances when it is after all only Georgia we're facing this weekend. Yeah, sorry, Gav, the, the line wasn't great there, but I, I, I'll answer what I, what I thought uh, you were asking. I think the France example is a little bit different in that there was a, a deal done with the, with the LNR that they wouldn't use all exclusively all the same players. And they're building towards a um, a home World Cup. They've had a you know pretty decent period, so they can probably experiment a little bit more. Also, I, I do think that there must be an issue with not really disturbing the bubble. And in fairness to... Billy Burns, he deserves a start. He's, you know, he's come off the bench twice, um, and it's better to give him some con- some consistency. Um, you know, Marmion deserves some game time. Maybe they feel Connor needs to start again to see if he's if he's going to play against uh, against Scotland. So I I I think Farrell has done enough experimenting for now. Um, unfortunately, someone like Eric O'Sullivan or or Craig Casey or Gavin Coombs, you know, realistically they're highly likely to play in the in, in the Six Nations. So it's next year's. Summer tour if that goes ahead, um, but yeah, I, I don't have an issue with with him giving people chances. I think he's doing that well, and I also think it's great for those those players who are playing for the province at the moment just to get games uh, consistently and forming it and put their hands up for for selection for European uh, competition, um, which then may be enough to to spring them into the senior team. Someone needs to let the dog out, do they? Yeah, so my, dog anyway. going absolute, my dog is going absolutely. My dog is going absolutely batch it here i'll have to wrap up lads okay. uh, that's <laughs> as good a reason as any yeah. thanks as always murray and birch uh, much Cheers. appreciated thanks, thank guys. you to shut up murph thank you as well to <laughs> all of the 42 members for the brilliant questions in the whatsapp group members dot the 42.e if you want to join us there you get access to all of our podcasts and loads more offerings as well uh, we will be back on monday murray and owen back in the hot seat for members and Bernard, Murray and myself will be back hopefully next Thursday as well. Uh, so until either Monday or Thursday, mind yourselves and take it easy. And everybody having a ball. Until the fellas start the name calling. And the girls respond to the call. I have a pull my shot Who let the dogs out? 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 I see the young people had a ball. Billy Bongers get out. Get back, Ruffy, back, Ruffy, get back, you flea infested mongrel. 